Welcome to the Christian Life Austin Sunday morning message. Today's sermon is entitled, A Tale of Two Brothers, by Lead Pastor Rex Johnson. I'm going to speak on the tale of two brothers today, the tale of two brothers. And there's a scripture in the book of Matthew that goes like this, but what do you think? A man had two sons. He came to the first and said, Son, go work today in my vineyard. And the son answered and said, I will not. But afterward, he regretted it, and he went. Then he came to a second and said, Likewise. And he answered and said, The boy said, I go, sir. But he did not go. Which of the two did the will of the father? Very simple story. They said to him, The first. Jesus said to them, Assuredly. But I say to you that tax collectors, that was the most hated people in Israel, And harlots, the most looked down on, enter the kingdom of God before you. For John came to you in a way of righteousness, and you did not believe him. But tax collectors and harlots believed him, and when you saw it, you did not after relent and believe him. In other words, you had a chance to see it, and you didn't receive it. Harlots and tax collectors came, received it, but afterward, you wouldn't even relent and believe him then. So... I'm going to talk to you today about a tale of two brothers. Would you put your hand on your heart real quickly and say, Pastor, Pastor, preach to me today. today. Let this word touch my heart. Let Let it change my heart. heart. Preach to me today, Pastor. Let this word touch my mind. Let it change my mind. Preach to me today, Pastor. Let me leave here a better person than what I was when I came in. Clap your hands now before you're seated. Amen. You may be seated. Tale of two brothers. You may be seated. You know, Americans are amazingly law-abiding folks. We obey rules. If you don't think so, travel to other countries. Watch people in countries that we normally think of as civilized push in front of one another while just simply waiting in line. Try driving in many of the great cities of the world. Those who travel a lot have horror stories to report. People drive through stop signs as if they weren't even there. Traffic lights receive not much more respect either. Meanwhile, in the land of the free and the home of the brave, we passively, passively do what's expected of us. How many of you folks like Candid Camera on on TV? You like Candid Camera? I love Candid Camera. I love it. I love people to get caught in situations. I love that. There's a TV show called that. It had a classic episode in which two telephone booths were placed next to each other, and on one booth it was labeled men, and on the other booth, women. And as the camera recorded the scene, no one used the booth that used the booths violated that sign. Men used only the booth labeled for men, and women used only the booth labeled for women. Even when there was a line for the men's booth and the women's booth was empty, no man used the women's booth. I doubt that the camera would record the same reaction to those signs today. But isn't that mind-boggling that people would be so acquiescent? True story reported in the New York Post just late before the, the century turned. Five heavily armed men shot out of glass doors of New York City Bank, entered the bank, firing automatic weapons and wounded 12 people. And one of the bank tellers, a woman, ran from the robbers and made it to an upstairs women's restroom. And one gunman chased her. But he stopped at the door of the ladies' room shouting at her to come out. (laughs) And when she refused, 
He went downstairs to help his colleagues finish robbing the bank. He might be a murderer. He might be a thief. But he wouldn't enter a woman's restroom. Again, maybe the same thing wouldn't happen today. But it does illustrate an element of our psyche. We obey the rules. We know where we don't belong. Many of us sometimes miss it when we think we know where we do belong. I want to preach today on a little thought here. Most of us do not have a problem with outright disobedience. In fact, I will, I will, I will congratulate this church again and again. I've been here almost 25 years. I can't imagine that in March of next year I'll be pastor here a quarter of a century. That's an amazing thing. I think I'm going to give my hand, self a hand here on that. No, don't clap. Let me give myself a hand. We don't, we don't have a problem with outright disobedience. This is one of the greatest, some of the finest people I've ever been around in my life. And really, honestly, I, I will tell you this, even though our numbers are, are larger, you are a people that are very low-maintenance people. It's amazing. It's amazing how much we don't have to worry about many of you people. But what we do have many times in churches after a while, being a part of a church is a problem of motivation. It really is. You know, there were seven churches in the book of Revelation, Revelation 2 and Revelation 3, the revelation of Jesus Christ. And those seven churches, there was five of them that the Lord said, repent or else I will come remove the golden candlesticks. But the last church that he talked to was the church of Laodicea. It was a lukewarm church. In fact, he said, I would rather you be hot or cold. But because you're lukewarm, I'm going to spew you or spit you out of my mouth because I don't want lukewarmness. In fact, that's the only church, the only church in the book of Revelation of the seven churches that he's outside Revelation, outside the door knocking, saying, let me come in. If you'll open the door, I'll come in and sup with you and you can sup with me. Now, here's the deal. In those seven churches, there were four spirits that were having to be battled by the people in the book of Revelation. The first was the spirit of Balaam, the doctrine of Balaam. Balaam is a doctrine of compromise, a compromise to, to things in society, things in our world. It's a compromise to false doctrine. It's a compromise to false gods. That was a spirit that was in the churches. Then there was a spirit of Jezebel, which was a part of the Asherah, the Baal, the worship of the earth, the worship of things of the earth, not worshiping the one true God. Then there was a doctrine of the Nicolaitans, which meant the laity rules, and the laity was a part. The laity told the preacher how to preach and how, how to get on, how to get off, and how to run everything, and so the preacher was bound. And then there was a doctrine of devils, and devils are going to always come around. They're going to try to fight the church. But in all those doctrines, from Balaam to the devils, from Jezebel to the Nicolaitans, the Bible said Jesus Christ was still walking among the seven golden candlesticks. What I'm trying to say is doctrines of evil that try to destroy the church don't destroy the Jesus that made and built this church. Jesus can walk past false doctrine. He can walk past compromise. He can walk past earth worship. He can walk past any devil in this world and still touch your life with his glory and blessing. But the only place that he wasn't walking among the seven golden candlesticks is when a church was lukewarm when they lacked motivation, when they didn't get motivated for the things of God, he said, I'm going to stand out here, and if you want me, I'll come in. 
but I'm not going to be a I'm not going to be anything but a gentleman. I'll come and help you if you need me, but now you don't need me, so you're going to run the machine by yourself. So what I think is what we're facing today in the church as a whole is not the fact of disobedience, but it's a fact of motivation. We're law-abiding for the most part, but we're passive. Our sins are generally ones of omission and not of commission. We're like the man, the young man that Jesus told about who had good intentions. The problem of putting those good intentions into action. I read the story to you in my text about a father who had two sons, and he came to the older son. He said, son, I want you to work in my vineyard. And the boy said, no. But after a while, he repented and said, yes. Everybody say, the older son rebelled. Say it. And then he said, yes. That's not unusual in our families. You let a kid get 16, he's got his own ideas. Amen. You let, a, you let a girl get 16, she's got her own ideas too. I raised three daughters. They all get their own ideas when you get 16. Something about getting those licenses. You know what I'm saying? I got my license. Now, Daddy, would you give me the keys and give me some gas money and give me some lunch money? But I got my license. That's another day. I got better things to do with my time, Dad. I'm not, I'm not going to go. But he repented. He went out into the vineyard. Then the father also asked the younger son. Everybody say younger son. And the younger son was not nearly as rebellious as the older brother. He was more like many of us. He said, yes, I'll go work in the vineyard today, Dad. I'll go. The boy's reply was prompt and sincere. Sure, Dad, I'll be happy to. But the day passed and the younger son did not go to the vineyard. Jesus told that very human little parable. And then he asked a question. Which did the will of the father, the one who said he would not go but did or the one who said he would go but never got around to it. Which did the will of the Father? And the answer was obvious. It was the first one. The one who said he would not go but he did. This is an important parable for us because we are those who have said to the Lord. You ready for this? Yes, Father, I will go. I'll do that. I don't know how many of you remember your, your baptism. How many remember when the Holy Spirit touched you? How many remember when the Lord saved you? You remember, the, you remember those days? You remember that night? You remember? I remember that night, my, my dad's birthday is today, and I love my father. If he was alive, he'd be 89. So, Dad, I love you today, and I know you're with the Lord, and I, I honor you today, Dad. Thank you. My dad, my dad was such a, a great, great teacher by just action. He always said, Son, there's always got to be something in your life greater than anything else in your life. And if that's not the Lord Jesus Christ, then you're missing something in your life because the Lord's got to be number one in your life. And I remember when I, when I came to the Lord and I received the Lord in my life. I was a little old kid when I started seeking God. I was raised in the church. But I remember the night he baptized me with his spirit. I remember the night I was baptized in water. I remember that. And I vowed that Jesus Christ would be Lord of my life. And I told him even then, I told him even then, it scared my mama to death. I said, Lord, I'll go to the deepest, darkest jungles in the world to preach the gospel. I'll go anywhere you want me to go. I was a nine-year-old kid. I said, I'll go anywhere you want me to go. I'll do anything you want me to do. And everybody's done that. Many of you remember when you stood in the front of the church and you vowed to uphold the church with your prayers and your attendance and your gifts and your service. You said, yes, Lord, I will go. Many of those who have said we would go, and that is good. The question is, have we gone? That's the question. A writer tells of an ice skating rink in Rockefeller Center in New York City. Dozens of people skated around the rink, but in the center of the rink was a lovely blonde woman in an attractive skater's outfit like she was getting ready for the Olympics. The woman was stretching and posing and stretching and posing. In the middle of the rink, stretching and posing, doing this number and this number. But she never skated. 
And so the rider said, you know what? I think I'm going to come back the next day and just see if she's skating tomorrow. Sure enough, she was there in another costume, a different color. And she was stretching and posing. And stretching and posing. And stretching and posing. And she never skated. And the rider wrote, it was all appearance and no substance. I'm not trying to be a negative pastor today. I'm really not. But when we chose to follow Jesus, it consists of more than just stretching and posing. It consisted of more of just coming to church and sitting there and saying, take a picture of me, Lord. I'm in the house of God. Somebody has got to get the praise turned on in this hour. Somebody has got to keep their prayer life active. Somebody has got to be a witness for Jesus Christ. Somebody has got to be a representative outside the doors of this church for Jesus Christ. Somebody. 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 So I ask a question today. Is Jesus truly the Lord of your life? Is he? Is he really the Lord of your life? I'm preaching about that. I'm not talking about a Savior. I'm not talking about somebody that saved you from sin. I'm not talking about somebody that redeemed you and bailed you out. I'm not talking about somebody that delivered you. I'm not talking about somebody that healed you. I'm talking about, is he Lord of your life today? Is he Lord? Is he number one in your life today? That's what it's about. That's what commitment, communion is about today. Is he Lord of your life? In Tennessee, at McNary County, there's a, there was a man named Dr. Sanders who was a country doctor. He lived a very simple lifestyle. He didn't wear the best clothes. He was known for long prayers in church. When he came to church, you'd pray a while. You had to take a lunch when he started praying. And one day, a young man in the doctor's community made an unkind remark about the doc, and the boy's father overheard him and said, Son, you don't have a clue about this man. Because when doctor was a younger man, when Dr. Sanders was a younger man, he literally broke his own health by taking care of patients who couldn't even pay him. He went to houses at night. He did house calls. He tried to make everybody well. He always lived frugally, but he gave generously to others, and he gave greatly to his church, and he paid for a lot of the church building, and although people, very few people knew it. And the doc has paid college tuitions for many young people who otherwise couldn't go. And reflecting years later on that conversation, the son said, I was so ashamed after my dad told me how great he was. Doc was living like Jesus, and I was making fun of him. I want to say something here, that living like Jesus is not something to be made fun of in this church. Being a true disciple of the Lord is not something we laugh at in this church. We want to applaud people that love Jesus Christ and live for him in this church. Amen? Amen? And I want to stop right now. I want to stop right now. I want to, I want to thank our older crowd. I want to thank our older crowd today. I want to thank people that kept these church doors open when these church doors could have been shut down years ago. I want to thank people in this church that have always supported and loved this church enough to open the doors and allowed us to build this building, build the building next door, and we're going to build another building that will seat probably 2,000, 2,200. But I want to thank you. I really want to thank you because you kept coming. You kept giving. You kept sharing and it's not something to laugh at it's something to rejoice over today thank you thank you thank you for leaving the church wide open for people to find Jesus somebody want to clap for our elder people you want to clap for the lifers it's awesome to have lifers in the church could it be said of our life he or she is living like Jesus have we made Jesus Lord of our lives, or is he still just a savior, just a bail bondsman, just a butler, just somebody to be there when we need him? 
The second point I want to preach is life is limitless when Jesus is Lord of our lives. Everybody say life is without limits. When Jesus is Lord. Amen. I love the analogy that William Tarbell used a few years ago. He was explaining about light traveling to 186,000 miles per second. And he said that it was, if that was too hard to imagine, he said, think of it another way. The starlight that's shining in your window, listen to this, left the star it, comes, it came from about the time Shakespeare was writing his plays. Shakespeare lived between 1556 and 1614. It was about that time. So 500 years that light has been coming to shine in your house. The light has been traveling all that time to reach you and provide its light. Then he added this profound statement. The work of the first disciples still influences us today. Their light is still shining on us. Centuries ago, men and women were commissioned to make disciples of people. And although they have both all been dead for almost 2,000 years. The effect of their work has traveled through history and it has touched all of us. It is felt in our lives and our churches today. A handful of people 2,000 years ago turned the world upside down. I want to tell you something. The book of Acts is full of the miracles of the church. And if they had miracles 2,000 years ago in the church, somebody help me right now. We've got to have the miraculous power of God in our church right now. We need the Holy Ghost to touch this church every Sunday. I'm like Moses. Lord, you can go and you can lead my people and you can leave us and walk away from us. But if you don't go with us, I'm not going because I've got to have the presence of God to go with me wherever I'm going. I don't know what it is in a lot of churches, but we still need the presence of God at Christian Life Church. We still need the Holy Ghost to baptize this place. And when Jesus is Lord, the sky is the limit. It's an awesome thing. Those disciples healed the sick. They raised the dead. Why? Because they were brilliant? There's no sign of that. Because they were powerful? Hardly. They were a motley crew of people in the bottom of the social structure of their day. Because they were strategically placed? No, most of them were Galileans. They were called hillbillies. They were called bubbas. And as far as the esteem of their neighbors were concerned, they didn't have any. How did they impact the world so greatly? It was because they were totally, and I spelt this different, S-O-U-L-E-D. They were sold out to Jesus Christ. They were sold out to Jesus Christ. It's an amazing thing to understand. When you have Jesus as not just your Savior, but your Lord, you take the limits off of him when Jesus is truly your Lord. Isn't it strange that we recognize the importance of commitment in other areas of life, like business and like art and like sport and like music? We make heroes out of those people that go the extra mile. We really, really do. I was watching TV the other night, and I saw, I saw Derek Jeter playing baseball the other night. I thought I brought me a handkerchief. I know I did. There it is. I don't even need it. I just want to see it. And I was walking, watching Derek Jeter play his last game. 20 years he's played for the New York Yankees. Played shortstop for the Yankees, a hard position to play. And uh, I would like to tell you he beat me out, but he didn't. Amen. I never played. I never was good. But watching him play the other night was such a thrilling thing. And seeing him get a base hit in the bottom of the inning and won the game, beat the Baltimore Orioles. He's in the top five in total hits in all of Major League Baseball. He's admired for his excellence on and off the field. It took dedication. It really did. And my mind went back to another man. Because they was playing the Orioles, my mind went back to Cal Ripken, Jr., 
played for Baltimore, played shortstop, started out at third base, but he put him at shortstop because they had a need, and he said, I'll play that position, whatever you need me to help play. He played in a record 2,632 baseball games. Did you hear me? 2,632. You play 162 games a year. He played in 2,632 games. Folks, he played a lot of seasons. Are you with me? He was called the Iron Man. And most players miss a game here or there because of injuries to their bodies, he said. Ripken didn't get injured less than any other player, nor did he need less rest. But Ripken earned national respect because he played on in spite of injuries and because of exhaustion. He said this. Here's his quote. I remember, I wanted to be remembered as an Iron Man, a player who went out there and put it all on the line every day. I want people to say they couldn't keep him out of the lineup. Would you put it up on the screen? They couldn't keep him out of the lineup. We need people at Christian Life Church that no matter what happens to you, no matter if you get offended tomorrow, if something runs over you on Tuesday, if your family splits up on Wednesday, if you lose your job on Thursday, you're going to be in the house of God next Sunday because something is in you that says you can't keep me out of the lineup. Hallelujah. We need people that's got a faith in God, got God as their Lord in their life, and they are not going to be kept out of the lineup. Throw the kitchen sink at me. Do all you want to do, devil. I'll, I can take anything you've got to throw at me because I'm going to show up at church, and when I show up, I'm going to show out. I'm going to worship God. I'm going to magnify God. I feel the Holy Ghost right now in this house. I feel the Holy Ghost right now in this house. I'm going to praise Him. We also need the attitude of Michael Jordan. He's another one of my heroes. I bought his shoes. It didn't help me. <laughs> Don't you laugh. It didn't help you either. <laughs> He's one of a kind. LeBron, love you, baby. You couldn't even beat them poor old Spurs. That's the second time. Kobe, love you, baby. Love you. Ain't nobody like Mike. Mike had such a will to win, his, his, his team said. Had such a will to win. He had an unparalleled success in his sport because he had this need plus desire to win. He had a need to win. They said when they would play cards with him or play Monopoly, they played Monopoly on the Bulls. They would play Monopoly. And if he was behind, he would somehow upset the whole table and let all the, the park place and all the, 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 all, the, all the properties be cast aside. He said, you're not going to take advantage of me. You're cheating to do that. I'll beat you if you're not cheating. And Michael Jordan was so consumed with winning, he would tear up the card table and say, no, we're not going to do this. Because Michael said, I'm going to win. Here was his philosophy. Losing is not in my game plan. I need people that have two statements today. You're not going to keep me out of the lineup. And losing is not in my game plan. Oh, hallelujah. Come on, let's have church right now. Pastor, I've been through some problems, some hell this week, but I'm in the lineup today. Sign me in because losing is not in my game plan. I've had some adversary. I've had some adversity in my life. I've had some adversaries come against me, but losing's not in my game plan. Don't kick me out of the lineup. I'm going to stay in the lineup. 
There was guys in the Bible that had that same attitude. David said, one thing have I desired of the Lord, and that will I seek after. That I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. And behold, the beauty of the Lord and inquire into his sanctuary. Jacob said, he told an angel one night, I will not let you go until you bless me. Mm. Hallelujah. Peter said, when Jesus said, will you also go away? He said, where else can we go, Lord? You have the words of eternal life. Paul said, I count everything else rubbish. He said this in a prison. I count everything else rubbish to obtain the Lord Jesus Christ in my life. Listen to me. He's not just a savior to bail you out. He's not just a deliverer to bring you in. He's not just a healer to make you walk right. He is Lord of all in our lives today. Come on, let's make him Lord right now. Take the limits off of your life. Take the limits off of your life. And let Jesus Christ be Lord of your life today. 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 Hallelujah. A church growth specialist asked a group of pastors how they believe Christ would rate their church if he were returned today. 53% of those pastors said Christ would rate their churches as having no positive impact on souls or society. That's disturbing. CLC must have an impact on our community. Would everybody do me a favor and just kind of point up with one finger like this to the Lord? Just point up to him and say, Lord, be Lord of this church. Come on, say it. Lord, be Lord of this church. Be Lord of our family. And be Lord of my life. Be Lord of this church. Be Lord of my family. And be Lord of my life. Hallelujah. One more time. Be Lord of this church. Be Lord of my family. And be Lord of my life. Somebody has got to bring their worship in here. But you've got to live for God out there. You've got to take Jesus to the world that we live in. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'm not ashamed of it. Pastor met one of his members on the street one day, and he, that old boy had been out of town. He'd gone on a little vacation. He missed Sunday. And so he said, Pastor, what'd you preach on Sunday? He said, Well, I preached about Andrew. He said, Andrew? Andrew, he never wrote a book. He hardly even know he's in the Bible. Pastor said, Well, he's one of these guys that, you know, we just need to give a little credit to every now and then. He said, He did three things. He did re- three things really, really good. Number one, he brought his brother Simon Peter to the Lord, he introduced Simon to Jesus. The man that would finally say, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus would say back to him, and thou art Peter, and upon this rock I'll build my church. On the revelation of who Jesus was, he built that church. He said, Andrew brought him to Jesus. And he said, number two, when Jesus asked Philip if he had any money, Philip said, we have 200 penny worth. But what's that against so many? They had 5,000 people plus men plus women and children to feed on that mountainside. And Andrew found a little boy with a lunch. And Andrew brought that boy with a lunch with five loaves and two fishes to Jesus. Not only did he bring a preacher to Jesus, but he took care of the church on a mountainside one day with a little boy's lunch of five loaves and two fishes. And then at the triumphant entry, there were some Greeks there that didn't know who he was and said, Sir, we would see Jesus. You know who they told that to? To Andrew. And Andrew brought those Greeks to Jesus. So Andrew brought preachers to the Lord. He took care of the church, and he brought sinners to Jesus Christ. There's not much better than that, folks. There's not much better than that. So the guy said, well, what would you call it? 
giving honor to the unpraised apostle. I'm here to tell you something. There's a lot of people in this house that you can do great things for Jesus Christ. There's people on your street. There's people in your job. There's people in your school. There's people on the street that need you. We have a man in this church. We have a man that goes to this church that every week goes under the bridges. I know it sounds so unique to some people. Oh, pastor, really? He gets water. He gets food for these people under the bridges all the way down Ben White. He said they're a different class than the people downtown. He said these people are thankful for what I bring them. And he gives them water every day. He gives them food every day. He's got a job, but he blesses people. He goes to this church. You know what he's doing? He's, he's being Jesus to everybody he can see. I'm telling you something. You hear me when I preach to you right now. We need people in this house that don't have Jesus as a skateboard, that don't have Jesus as an escape hatch, but he's Lord of your life. He's got to be Lord of your life. God, I got to slow down. I could preach all over this place today. God, give us Andrews. God, give us men. Give us Davids. Give us people that will take the gospel to the community. I was in I was in San Diego not long ago. A bunch of us preachers used to get together and play golf, and we'd go down to Mexico, down to Baja, and we'd play, take a little time off. And now I found somebody better to go with, men in the church. Hallelujah. Preachers sometimes get goofy. Just a thought. If I ever get goofy, tell me, and I'll quit being goofy, okay? The boys will tell me. Somebody will help me. But I was in San Diego, and, 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 the, and the pastor out there had lined us up, all of us, up for massages and at, a, at, a, at a men's health club. And so I was first. There was about eight of us. So he introduced me to the massage therapist as Rex Johnson, sergeant of vice in Dallas, Texas. I looked at him because he hadn't run that by me. I looked at him like, what? You idiot. What? You? He said he has had some great cases in his life. There's nothing wrong with being the sergeant of vice in Dallas. Ain't nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with being on the APD in Austin, Texas. We got great policemen in this church, FBI agents. We got great people in this church that are law enforcement. But that ain't what I am. So I went in that room and I said, let me talk to you just a minute before, before we do all this. I said, first of all, my name is Rex. He got that right. But I'm not from Dallas. I live in Austin. And I pastor a church, a blessed church, a church that I love. I am a spirit-filled, Holy Ghost preacher. And I want you to know that. And everybody that comes in this room after me, no matter if he says they're mechanics or bankers, if he says they're salesmen or car dealers, no matter what he says, they're all pastors. And she went outside and she said, why didn't you tell me that I was working on all pastors today? Pastor Rex told me, there's sometimes in your life you're going to have to get to a point where you're not ashamed to be who you are. Come on now. If, you, if he's good enough to praise in this house, He's good enough to live outside this house. If he's good enough to worship and adore in this house, he's good enough to walk the streets with outside this house. Come on. If he's Lord here, he's got to be Lord in your house. 
I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It's the power of God and salvation. Amen. Let me close. Randy, come and help me. I got to quit. I got to quit. I know some of you said, boy, I wish he'd have quit a long time ago, but I didn't. We've just passed the 13-year anniversary of the attack on the World Trade Centers this month. 9-11. Patty and I were privileged to be there in New York the other day for a few days of just a little R&R. And there's a museum now that, uh, that is built to honor the fallen and to tell the story of the 3,000 plus that perhaps lost their life on that day all over the country. One of the victims of that attack was a pastor named Michael Judge. He was a fire department chaplain who, while ministering to firefighters working at Ground Zero, was killed by the falling debris from the towers. First of all, I love a pastor that would give his life in trying to save others. But in his pocket, he always carried a note and a prayer. And the prayer said something like this, Lord, take me where you want me to go. Let me meet who you want me to meet. Tell me what you want me to say. And then, Lord, keep me out of your way. Let me let you do your work. People of commitment understand that the promises they have taken before the Lord are not a trivial matter. If that first church, if that older son said no and then said yes, and this last day church has said yes, we better keep a yes in our spirit. I started this first of this month with a message about yes. And I close this month with a message about yes. We have to say yes to the Lord. So to say yes to him, you've got to say no to some other things in your life. You've got to say no. He is going to be Lord of all in my life. He's going to be Lord of all. Thank you for listening. For more information, please visit clcaustin.com.